Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Those are verses 18 and 19 of Psalm 72, which is the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, June the 8th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I am your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're finishing up with Deuteronomy uh, today, and then we're also looking at 2 Corinthians and the Gospel according to Luke. So we're finishing up, as I said, we're finishing up the Gospel, the, not the Gospel, the, the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, we've only got this one lesson remaining before we move on to something else. And so what is it that Moses wants to say to the people he calls them together? And he speaks the words of a song, so it's poetry that he's speaking to them. And he says, Give ear, O heavens, and I'll speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew. Like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb, for I will proclaim the greatness of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. So, what is he going to do? He's going to begin at the beginning, and, and he's going to tell them who God is. He's going to tell them exactly the kind of God that they have, the kind of God they worship. And then he's going he's to connect it. He's going to connect God and his character to their story. And so he begins by saying, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. That's the kind of God you have. You have a God of justice. But that's not all, and Moses knows that that's not the only aspect of God. Mercy is equally important because justice, strict justice, is not a way we can live. We can't stand and live before a holy God if his only characteristic is justice. We need a God whose characteristic, his chief characteristic, is mercy. And, and that's exactly what we have. In the Anglican service, in a worship service, the, all our prayers are, depend on and proclaim him to be a merciful God. So we're constantly reminded that we make our appeal for forgiveness or anything else in any of our petitions, we make to a most merciful God whose property is always to have mercy. And we repeat that again and again because we need to be reminded of that. If we don't have a merciful God, then there's no point. There's nothing to worship. It's hard to worship justice because justice would say that if I've committed a sin, I deserve to die. Mercy says, yes, you deserve to die, but that's not going to be the way this ends. I've got a different solution for that. But, But we have to acknowledge, though, that justice means I should die for my sins. Mercy says Jesus came and took those sins on himself. We have a merciful God. It doesn't mean, however, that justice isn't any part of it. And so we can't just preach grace because it becomes nothing if justice is unimportant. Grace isn't grace without justice being important because grace is what you get instead of strict justice but he is a god of justice he is a holy god and that holiness and that righteousness and that justice can't be perverted it can't be lost we can't say it's something else we can't say that no longer matters 
because that makes a mockery of life. It makes a mockery of the the things that we're forced to go through, the injustices that we're forced to go through, the injustices that, that everybody on earth has happened to them. And so how do we deal with that? And we come before the Lord and we ask Him for justice, but we plead for mercy. And it's a difficult walk in some ways because we have to always remember when we're pleading with Him for justice in our own situation is that we're recipients of mercy. And so it should level us and cause us to take mercy and pity on those who have wronged us. And so he goes on to say that, that justice isn't delayed forever. There will come a time when all things are reckoned in the end. And, and the only difference between me and thee is whether I'm standing in covenant with him through the blood of Jesus. And so he goes on through the whole thing, and he says, they've dealt corruptly with him. They're no longer his children because they're blemished. They're crooked and twisted generation, which is something Paul uses in Philippians 2. He talks about a crooked and perverse generation. Do they thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Isn't he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he'll show you your elders, and they'll tell you. We don't even look that way anymore, right? I mean, there, there's no respect for for people who have been here a while. You know, we, we celebrate and worship youth in so many ways that, that we allow ourselves to be deceived by those who speak without wisdom because they haven't lived long enough and learned the lessons. And so then he goes on, he says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. And then he goes on to talk about the way that God blessed Jacob, their forefather, and found him in a desert land and encircled him and cared for him and he kept him as the apple of his eye and he protected him all those years. It's that kind of relationship that we're called into with him. He found us in a desert land. Whatever your desert land looked like, he found you in that place, and he rescued you from that. Remember yesterday, we looked at Zacchaeus, and and God finds him, up in the person of Jesus, finds him up a tree, trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. And so what he does is he calls him out of the tree and then calls him into relationship He found him, and that's what Jesus says, is that he is there to restore the lost sheep. And so he considered Zacchaeus a lost sheep, and restoring that lost sheep had a ripple effect on everyone else. And so it's important for us, again, to pray for our leaders, to pray for those who are in positions of power and authority over us, because we want them, should want them, to be Christians. We should want them to be merciful. We should want them to care and to submit themselves to the one who is over all. And, and that's exactly what Moses is laying out here for the people. You have a benevolent, merciful king, and his name is Yahweh. He is also, however, a king who demands justice and who asks justice of his people. And just because there's no judgment today doesn't mean that you got away with it. No, he's merciful. Return to him. But don't return to him in in just words. Return to him in all that you do. And so he's laying out for them this beautiful picture of the Father that 
care so much. He made him ride on the high places of the land. He ate the produce of the field. He suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd and milk from the flock with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats with the very finest of the wheat. And you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. Look at all he's done for you is the appeal. Look at all he has done for you and return to him. And in this passage here in the gospel, Jesus, remember, has just saved, brought salvation to the home of Zacchaeus. And now here, as he's still in Jericho, he hears the people rejoicing and he proceeds to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They had their hopes up. They're coming near to Jerusalem and they have their hopes up. And we know that they have their hopes up because it's the way they proclaim him to be their king as he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday riding on the on a donkey. And they're proclaiming him to be the son of David. They're proclaiming him to be Messiah. They're waiting for him to sit on that messianic throne and be the benevolent ruler that they've been waiting on. They supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And so he tells them this story, and he tells about a nobleman. And that nobleman is called to a far country, so he's going a long distance from where he is, and he's called there to receive a kingdom. He's about to be raised up in the kingdom. And the first response that he makes is to he called some of his servants to him, and he gave them each ten minas, and said to them, engage in business until I come. In other words, make a profit out of this. Put it to use, do something with it. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. So they sent a delegation to go see the one who is giving them the kingdom and said, we don't want this man to rule over us. We don't like him. Well, it failed. That mission to stop that failed. And so the man returns, having received the kingdom, and he ordered the servants to have been given money to be called to him that he might know what he, they had gained by doing the business. And the first one came and he doubled his money. The second one came, he'd given a 50% return. And in both cases, he, they were given cities. So one gets 10 cities because he made 10 minas out of it, and the other gets five cities because he made five minas. In return, the final one comes and says, I, I, I knew what kind of a man you are. You reap where you don't sow. You're severe and hard and all this kind of stuff. And, and so I, here, here's your money back. I was scared to death. So I didn't do anything with it. Here you go. Have at it. No, I was. He, you were given a commandment to do business with it. And this guy refused to do what he was commanded to do. And so the master says, I'll command, condemn you with your own words, you wicked servants. You knew I was a, a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. In other words, what he's saying is, is that I'm not agreeing with you. I'm just repeating this to you. So let, let's, let's, let's say, okay, you're right. This is who I am. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? That at my coming, I might have at least collected it with interest. And then he took those away and he gave them to the one with 10. And, and now everybody's just startled. What do you mean? What, that one already has 10. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, the ones who didn't want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Judgment's real. And we've been given kingdoms. We've been given lots. We've been given so much freedom in America that it's absolutely unbelievable. And what have we done with it as a church? Have we preached the, the true gospel or have we gotten away from preaching the gospel? Have we preached 
comfort and ease? Have we preached something other than the gospel? Have we never made clear the demands of the gospel? The way Zacchaeus knew the demands of the gospel. The way the rich young ruler knew the demands of the gospel. The way the disciples all responded to it, which was they, they, they knew they'd found the treasure in the field that was worth risking and leaving everything behind for in order to follow. We've, we've not taught people that. We've taught people they can have it all. And they can have their best life now. You can. You can. But how are you measuring that? What, what do you consider your best life? And that's the point. Jesus constantly is telling people, you know, you, you won't follow me because I'm telling you that it's hard to follow me. You've got to take your cross. I'm telling you that birds have nests. Son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus constantly points that out. And you get that here in Paul. Paul is, is looking at these people who have made themselves rich by the preaching of the gospel. And he says, look, I, I don't have anything. I, but I didn't burden you at all. I didn't ask you for a nickel to come and preach you the gospel. And, and that, that's the mark of a man who, whose heart is set on fire for, for people, loves God and loves his neighbor, is he says, look, I didn't want to burden you. I wanted to give you something. I wanted to give you the greatest gift that I have. Paul left everything. He, he left a life of pretty much ease in, in order to take on the yoke of the gospel. And he's not making penance for his previous sin. No, it has nothing to do with that. That's not what it is at all. What he's doing is he's preaching the gospel and he is he is suffering for Jesus just because Jesus said we would. But oh my goodness, tell anybody that? They'll reject you in a minute. They did Jesus too. So when he speaks here, he says, look, Whatever anybody else dares to boast of, I mean, if, if they're saying they're better than me, they're truer than me, they're more than me, then I, let's go at it. Let's go hammer and tongs as this. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. They got nothing on me. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. And then he goes on to say I, I, why he's a better one. I've had far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes lest one, because they're not allowed to give forty. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. He, that, he's commending himself. Today, if you tell those stories, if, that, if that's your claim, people look at you like you're crazy. They absolutely don't believe you should be going through all that. No, if the Spirit of God was on you, if the blessing of God was on you, then you wouldn't have all these things happen to you. No. Paul's right. Paul's right. We shouldn't expect to find a claim if you look and see who everybody's running after, they're running after the wrong person. That's exactly what Paul's saying. He said, no, 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 you're going to face persecution if you preach the gospel. You're going to face per persecution everywhere you go. I, I'm glad we live in a time when, when I can't be beaten with rods. But we have to be willing to preach an unpopular gospel. We have to be willing to be turned away just as Jesus was turned away. And then he says, apart from these, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I mean, he cares deeply and loves the churches. That's what he means. He wants them to flourish. 
and so it's the anxiety of 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 caring for people in the name of Jesus is is real. I constantly worry about people that I speak with. I constantly worried when I was pastoring the church. I constantly worried about the state of my church, the state of my people, because they were people God had been had given to me to minister and to lead and to to share the word of God with. He says, who's weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to fall and I'm not indignant? He cares. He empathizes with people. He puts themselves in their shoes. And he loves them. He said, if I'll boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows I'm not lying. He, Paul cares so much about the gospel but he also cares about his neighbor, and that's the reason he carries these burdens, and that's the willing he, reason he's willing to endure all the hardships that he has is because he loves them. It's the same reason Jesus went to the cross, because he loves us. He carried that burden, and he carries the burden of our sins. That's how much the Father loves us, is that he, the holy and righteous one, the creator of all, who doesn't need us at all, carries the burden of our sins, carries us always in his heart.